0: The following content has been provided by RWTH, Aachen University. Okay, just a reminder um, of the the meaning of operationalization. (laughs) Um, Do you remember what what I meant when I mentioned it the first time? Last week. I said we have to operationalize variables. What did I mean? I'm nitpicking actually because this is a very small a- thing of the entire um, lab last week, but it's very important. We, we did practice it a little bit. Okay, so let's, let's, let's start with just reading the hypothesis. Any answers before we start? Okay, let's start with the hypothesis. So someone thinks that young participants will have significantly better memories than older participants. And this someone happens to be a professor who has three PhDs working for him. And he gives this hypothesis to his PhDs and tells them, go find out is this true or not. Okay, this is somehow vague. So what would be the first thing you will do if you're a researcher to figure out how to study this, to answer this question. Yeah. Yeah, I think it means Um, How do we measure the battery memory? Yes, that's that's correct. So how we measure it or and define the variable. So what would you do when you get this hypothesis? I give it to you an assignment and tell you please write a method for studying this. What's your first intuition? There is no paper. You're going to write the paper. Um, That's the goal, yes? uh, Maybe uh, creating two groups uh, which will consider uh, um, young people Mm -hmm. and older. Okay, that's a good start. But there is something missing. He's going to create a group of young people and older people. Yes? You have to define what young actually means. Exactly. Yes, and this is where operationalizations come. So you have to be very exact. What do you mean by young? Are they like children? Are they babies? Are they um, teenagers? etc So you give them a range of age, let's say 16 to 30. And then you give the older people also a range, let's say 70 to 93. Uh, the next thing you would do after you get to these two participants, two groups of participants, what are you interested in? Why did you bring them? Yes? To measure the performance of the memories. Right. So, How would you do that? Yeah, we could think about some kind of test or the memory game, something like that, and test the short term and long term memory, for example. So let's talk about short term memories. And uh, I want someone to give me one example of a task because there are probably so many ways to measure this, but I just want one example. Yes. You could show the participants um, certain pictures, so like 50 pictures, Mm -hmm. and then after that you show them more pictures and ask whether this picture was not the set before. Okay, so you're defining memory as remembering 50 pictures within within, um, three minutes of exposure. So this is your operation, the operationalization of this memory variable. Now, whether it's right or wrong, is something different. Something comes from expertise and reviewing literature and seeing if other people have measured it the same way. But you are on the right track. So you look at the hypothesis, you define the variables, and you give them their measurements. And this is what the actual um, research question became, came to be. The participants aged from 16 to 30 will recall significantly more nouns from a list of 20, uh, of 20 than participants aged between 50 and 70. 50 and 70. So they gave them a list of 20 nouns and they asked them to memorize them and recall them. There are also more details because they did not tell me how much time did they have to, ma- to memorize them. But this is just the hypothesis. Once we go and write something called a protocol, which we will do today, we have to add more details. Exactly how are they going to memorize them? Are they on a sheet of paper? Are, on the, are they on the screen? How many minutes they will have? And um, where did you get the nouns from? They could be really very hip words. So all the younger people would find them easy to understand and remember, while the older people not. All these come in effect, And if you can like, just start thinking of the details, they're really hard to control, to, to figure out that these 20 nouns are the perfect set to actually measure memory. Because, as I say, there, there are biases towards some words um, and because of the age range. Okay. So the basic elements of experimental study, which, we, which are described in detail in the video, are the variables, independent and dependent, how to, how, the scale of these variables. Are we measuring them over continuous scale, or are they nominal, categorical, or um, ratio? And the, the, these are the things that like, hover around the study, the confounding variable, the extraneous variables. These are the things we hate so much but we have to deal with it as researchers because they will influence the validity of our research. And validity means does our research really prove what we set out to study? And there are two types of validity. One that's, that says, yes, the study was good enough that the, particip- the, the output that we got from the participants is, um, is solid. So if we got from these two groups that the memories of the young people is 20% better, this is solid, right? This is called internal va- uh, validity. But the external validity is that can we take this one study with these two groups of, let's say, 10-10 people and say all, you know, all, pe- all younger people who are in this class, uh, in this age range, and all older people are in this range also have this difference of 20% memory. And to reach extre- the, this external validity, we have to show that the samples we chose of people are representative of the community. That you took young students who are doing their bachelors, their masters, their PhD, who are in um, high school, so they're representative, poor and rich, um, who have parents who are educated and parents who are um, not educated. These could become infinite. But as, a senior, as an expert researcher, you would know which variables are more relevant and try to pick a sample that has um, equivalent, that, that distributes these um, equivalents between the two groups and that represents the community in a better way. So let, just to get, give you a heads up of what a protocol is, in, in, in case you are not familiar with the name, a protocol is a document that states how you're going to perform an entire study. It includes the hypothesis, the variables, the operation, the operation. I'm going to we need another word for this, how to define these variables and measure them, and uh, as well as who are your participants? How are you going to collect the data? How are you going to study all this? Is it in a room? Is it outside? And um, who are uh, eventually, how are you going to analyze the data? <clears throat> So these are the basic parts of a protocol. There's the title. There is, for example, evaluating the performance of a new keyboard layout. There's the research problem. We intend to find uh, if our new keyboard layout performs faster and less errors than the query keyboard, the new layout would lead to smaller form factors. This is the question. And then the context, which is like the history of this research, there has been... There have been many new layouts that appear to perform faster than QWERTY, but lead to fatigue. So we think now we're kind of saying fatigue is a problem that we might be um, able to fix. Um, The aim is the last statement in the context. So you say, this is the history of keyboards, and we aim to, for example, make a keyboard that makes makes people faster without having them tired. And then the hypothesis, which is something we, we, we're going to get more confort- comfortable with, it states the variables and um, how do you think the relationship will be. There is no difference in typing speed between the new layout, layout and queryty. This is called the null hypothesis, which is you give the negative because in your opinion, you think there is a difference. But the null hypothesis, you negate it um, in order to find, to verify it or not. Um, then we have the variables dependent and independent the task and some people when you read a study sometimes you would think the task is part of the variables but the task is the procedure that the users will have to do in order for you to measure that the variables during for example the task is to play um, this Minecraft for example in order to see how people use the mouse so the Minecraft is just the task it could be any other um, game, it could be any other task um, on the computer, as long as um, it helps you see how people are using the mouse. Participants, who are they? Um, If They have characteristics that are very important to keep. uh, Are you going to try to balance gender? Uh, And then experimental design, which is the idea of uh, randomization: How are you going to randomize the variables over the participants, and are they going to repeat the same conditions all of them, or are you going to ha- have half, like one group doing one experiment, one variable, and one group doing another variable? Okay. Um, finally, you add, you talk about the experiment setup, the experiment procedure. The experiment procedure is just a list of. First, I'm gonna do A, B, C, D, and it's actually actions that you as a researcher will do. So first, I to, I'm going to welcome the participant. Second, I'm going to tell the participant the goal of the study. Third, I'm going to let the participant wear this shirt that's important for my study. Third, I'm going to show the participant how you to use this new tool. All these things have to be enumerated. And the goal of this experiment procedure is to make sure if you are sick that day, that some other researcher will get this protocol. It's so clear that he will be able to do this, the, the study uh, on your behalf. He will follow the steps, and it will be exactly the same as you write them. So you have to be detailed in this. And then data analysis methods, we'll talk about them um, later on when we go into uh, statistical methods. Okay, I'm going to mention just something about extraneous variables. Um, we, we talked about them. I'm just going to categorize them and just give you uh, the short answer of how we usually treat them. So there are three sources of extraneous variables, and the first one is situational. So some people would say, if you get your user in a windy day, they will have a different mood than if you get them in a, sun, a sunny day. And if they're really cranky, they will probably perform so bad because they're not in the mood. So this is a situational thing. This is the environment, the temperature, um, the humidity in the air, um, the political situation, everyone is angry, Trump was elected, whatever it is. So you try to control these variables. As a researcher, you sit down and you think, I'm going to try to make wherever the, the participant will sit seem, seem the same in the atmosphere. So you control them. There is no other way to do it. You try to get all your users with in the morning time, in the evening time, uh, sit on the same chair, um, be in the same room. All these things. The second variable that could be an extraneous or become a, a confounding variable. It's called confounding when it actually affects your study. Participants. We have different participants who have a word, have different intelligence who have different moods, who have different backgrounds. All these things could affect um, expertise, affect how they perform. Gender also affects how people perform. So you try to balance this by randomizing or counterbalancing. And with participants, we try to counterbalance. We get 50 50 male, 50 female, 50 right-handed, 50 uh, um, left-handed, percent, 50 percent, in order to fix this problem. And the third problem is called experimental bias. And there are two sources of experimental bias. You love your research and you, you really want to get the answer of this hypothesis. So, you you're like hovering around the user while he's entering text and you would, you would be like if you just could you could if you want you can go faster. Like you could you would say that to him. And then you stress him out and he tries to be faster or, or something like that. Or um, you mention the procedure differently to the users. So you tell the user, the goal of this experiment is to see how fast people can go on the keyboard. I come the next day, and I tell the next user, the goal of this experiment is just to verify that this is a usable keyboard or not. The differences may seem small, but the first one will try to really be faster because he feels he's under the test of speed. And that would affect his performance. So that how we solve this is we have a very strict procedure, line by line. We, start, we even try to read from paper what we, how we talk with um, the um, users. And there is something that we cannot control. It's um, the, experiment, the biases of the participants against the experimenter. So some people have racial biases, gender biases. That you see, they see the experimenter, she's a girl, and they already were like, oh, okay, this is probably a silly experiment. I'm gonna, not going to uh, focus on it. This is true, and it happens. And from the perspective of a researcher, I'm really interested in the science part. And if I think this is a problem, I'm not going to educate my participants. I will just choose cleverly a participant that is male if I think this is a problem. Okay. I'll then educate them afterwards. Fine. So, extraneous variables are something we, we, we have to deal with uh, on a daily basis as a researcher. And if they finally get into your study and make it different in any way, they become confounding variable. And a confounding variable makes your external or internal validity lower. This statement will be... You have to understand very very good because it is the core of experimental research. This content was provided by RWTH Aachen University.